What are some weird historical facts or events that most people don't know about? Ibrahim I, Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, had 280 of his concubines drowned in the ocean because one of them had slept with another man. A slightly more positive fact is that officially the longest war in history was between the Netherlands and the Isle of Sicily. It lasted from 1651 to 1985, 335 years. There were no casualties. Gets posted on Reddit pretty often, but still unknown to some. In 1932, the Australian army gathered machine guns and went to war against a bunch of emus in what would be known as the Great Emu War. I read this and kind of forgot what an emu was, and then I thought they were those little furry guys in Star Wars, and was super confused for like 10 seconds. Emus are vicious, heartless monsters whose sole reason for existence is to remind us that dinosaurs used to be in charge. Didn't the Wikipedia page have a casualties section at one point, under which was listed dignity? If your grandparents are over the age of 80, they will have lived for one-third of US history. If you're 30, you've lived for one-eighth of US history. When the barbarians sacked Carthage, they burned and pillaged pretty much everything but the sanctuary where St. Augustine was staying. He was on his deathbed and the barbarians respected him so much for his influence, even though they hated the church, that they decided to leave him alone. There was a gang war called the Great Nordic Biker War, where hundreds of American bikers stole armaments from several Scandinavian military bases and terrorized the streets while killing each other. If I recall correctly, they stole the weapons originally to sell back to the States, but a banditos used an anti-tank rocket to destroy a Hells Angels clubhouse in Sweden. You change a couple of locations and this is the plot to Sons of Anarchy. Let it be known that this sent the Nordic countries-based narrator scurrying to Wikipedia, where he was shocked to learn that the whole debacle was in fact a thing with nearly 100 casualties. During the 16th century, Nicolas Fouquet was the Minister of Finances in France under King Louis XIV. He had the castle of vaux le vicomte built for a crap ton of money and had the most rad parties there. 16th century, they still said things like rad then. He invited the king to one of these parties and made it the raddest of all the rad parties, like top three raddest in France's history. Looking at all the food and fireworks and fountains and all the bling, King Louis XIV found it suspicious. Where was this money coming from? He was also very much jealous of such splendor when his own castle was mostly empty. So Louis XIV had Fouquet arrested, imprisoned, and then investigated and found guilty. In that order. Arrested by D'Artagnan, the guy who inspired Alexandre Dumas' Fourth Musketeer. And then he ordered the castle of Versailles to be made even more beautiful than Vaux-le-Vicomte. In conclusion, Versailles' castle was built as it is today because the king was jealous of his minister of finances, among other reasons. The CIA made a spy cat, a cat that could lurk around and record information, that they sunk several million dollars into and it promptly walked into traffic. The Soviets had anti-tank dogs, dogs they strapped explosives to, that didn't want to run at the tanks for obvious reasons and frequently blew up their own forces. I always heard the Soviet anti-tank dogs failed because they were trained with Soviet tanks, so promptly ignored the enemy and went straight towards Soviet tanks, as they were trained to do. When Fort Sumter was attacked by the Confederates in 1861, no one had gotten killed from the attack, but the Confederates later had a party, for a reason I do not know, and when one of their drunk butts shot a gun, it killed one of their own. That was the only death that occurred during the three days of the attack on Fort Sumter. Confederates kept on partying, even though they saw the man dead. President Lyndon B. Johnson would have highways cleared out by the Secret Service, get in a car with a six-pack of beer, and gun it down the highway, downing beer after beer. 
You can leave Texas, but the Texas never leaves you. <laughs> the Romans used human urine as mouthwash. Pisterine, anyone? During the evacuation of Dunkirk in World War II, in that moment of despair, desperation, and overall bleakness, on the beach there was a workers' strike by a group of British rail workers regarding overtime. Very strange thing to happen in the face of events. That Henry Ford attempted to build an entire city in the middle of the Amazon to supply his company, and the United States, with a reliable source of rubber. Unfortunately, the entire scheme fell apart, although one can still visit the ruins on the site, complete with all the amenities 1920s Americans could want. Salieri did not kill Mozart. This is a legend. Mozart drank and died in poverty. I heard also that it was a myth that he died in poverty and had a pauper's burial. Apparently, a lot of money was spent on his funeral as well. 10-Minute Lobotomies Two methods were used. Either you had to drill holes in the head, or the later method that was using a metal pick to hammer through the eye sockets. In both methods, a metal instrument was used to mush brain. Local anesthesia was used. The patient could go home in the same day. The doctor did a couple of thousand of these and could do multiple surgeries a day. Also, because anesthetic was costly, they just stunned the patient with an electroshock therapy machine, which was pretty commonly available. Max Tremel, a priest on the Winter Walk one day in 1894, witnessed a young boy slip through some broken ice on the River Inn and saved the boy from certain drowning. That boy would grow up to be the Chancellor of the Third Reich. In 1919, a molasses storage tank busted. A wave of molasses, 25 feet high, ripped through the streets of Boston, killing 21 people and injuring 150 others. It is estimated that the tank contained 2.3 million gallons, 87,000 cubic meters, of molasses when it collapsed. It became known as the Great Molasses Flood. They should have called it the Molassacre. London also had a great beer flood. 135,000 imperial gallons of beer destroyed several streets. Not that it's a competition or anything. I would like to note that the Molassacre both killed and injured more people than the Great Nordic Biker War, proving both that it was a very sticky situation and that even a Nordic Biker War is a very mild affair. The Twilight Zone was one of the first television shows to feature a nearly all-black cast on a dramatic show that was not dealing with racial issues. This was all because Rod Sterling, who was quoted in saying, Television, like its big sister, the motion picture, has been guilty of a sin of omission. Hungry for talent, desperate for the so-called new face, constantly searching for a transfusion of new blood, it has overlooked a source of wondrous talent that resides under its nose. This is the Negro actor. The episode was The Tall Big Wish, which was part of the first season of the show, and it was awarded the 1961 Unity Award for Outstanding Contributions to Better Race Relations. Did he just talk like he was introducing the Twilight Zone? Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on the same day, July 4, 1826, America's 50th birthday. Adams's last words were, Thomas Jefferson survives. He was wrong. Jefferson had died hours earlier in Virginia. Apparently, three presidents died on July 4th, although James Monroe was not in the same year. During his travels in Africa, the guy that invented Jameson Liquor bought an 11-year-old girl as a forced laborer and then fed her to cannibals just to see what it was like. He sketched while they ate her. Not really weird, but a fun piece of history that not many people know is about the origin of an announcer calling a horse race. On February 5th, 1927, in Tijuana, Mexico, there was a film being shot at the racetrack. 
a track official noticed the way a director was using a microphone and a loudspeaker to direct his crew and actors during the filming. The idea came to him that if he had a microphone set up in the steward's booth that led to a set of speakers, he could call the position of horses like a director gave direction. Later that day, he had it set up without telling any of the patrons to the track about it. When people first experienced it, they were extremely confused. Before that, people would keep track of the horses themselves with binoculars and were often unable to get a great view at certain angles. After they got used to it, they loved hearing a race being called, and it became an everyday thing at that small track. Now it's an extremely important part of modern-day racing all across the world, and even people that aren't familiar with the sport know about it. Fidel Castro actually wanted to be allies with America, since they were only 70 miles north and a world superpower, and Cuba desperately needed economic assistance. But because of containment and strong anti-communist sentiment, Eisenhower and Nixon both refused to meet him. So Castro turned to the other world superpower, the Soviet Union, for economic assistance, and Khrushchev welcomed him with open arms. And that's how the Cuban Missile Crisis began. The Roman Senate of the Roman Republic wasn't officially supposed to be a legislative body with authority to pass laws. Officially, it could only recommend legislation to the magistrates, who didn't technically have to obey. However, there was an extremely strong precedent to obey official advice from the Senate, so it almost always was followed during the Republican period. During the Empire, the authority of the Senate was reduced further. It's worth noting, however, that the Senate didn't only issue advice. Outside of legislative issues, they did have other authorities and powers in addition to the immense influence they carried. It's treason, then. In medieval times, the accused often faced a trial by ordeal, where they were forced to stick their arms into a vat of boiling water. If their arm emerged unscathed, it was believed God protected them, thus proving their innocence. They also had a trial by iron up to the 18th century where you had to hold a red-hot iron bar in your hand and run a specified distance. The hand would then be wrapped up and you would wait a few days. If your hand or skin was corrupted when the bandages came off, then that was God determining your guilt and you were hanged. Simpler times. Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that. The hand would be withdrawn and then treated and bandaged. The bandage would be removed a week later. If the wound had turned septic, you were guilty. If not, you weren't. The hand didn't have to be unscathed. That is, after all, what scathing means. This was all managed anyway. The guys in charge of the trial would sometimes allow the water to cool somewhat before the hand was put in. This could probably be managed by payment or if they liked you more than they liked the accuser. Yes, as a history student, it is always worth noting that where things like this that are shocking to our sensibilities come up, they were often much more nuanced and seldom used than factoids like this would have you believe. Most people didn't want to kill their neighbors, especially ones who were very useful to the community. Something I always like to talk about, there once existed an alleged theoretical state of war that lasted 335 years and 19 days, and was between the Dutch and an archipelago off the coast of southwest England called the Isle of Scilly. What's more, there were no casualties because the Dutch forgot that they were at war with the Isles. It wasn't until a Scilly historian contacted the Dutch about the war in 1985 and received the information that the war was still technically going that a peace treaty was signed in 1986. Can you just imagine if they gathered to end this war and the leaders started arguing about who won, so much so that a real war would break out? It's common practice to wear the bottom button of a vest or waistcoat undone. Sometimes vests are even cut with the bottom edge curving away so that the button is purely decorative. The reason for this is that Edward VII of England was a chonker. 
He undid his bottom button for gut comfort, and it turned into the style as courtiers imitated him. Relatedly, the fashion of wearing wigs, which prevailed in European fashion for 150 years, started because the French king got bald and needed one. Hernando de Soto is responsible for the collapse of several North American civilizations and the deaths of untold millions of people. He and his band of men were the first Europeans to make a concerted expedition into what's now the USA. He started in Florida, and eventually his men made it to Louisiana, with many detours along the way. De Soto dies along the way, but that's unimportant. What's important is that they brought about 300 pigs with them for food because they breed quickly and can live off almost anything. Unfortunately, they also serve as a host for various diseases that humans are susceptible to. Lots of the pigs escaped, reproduced, destroyed farmland, and spread diseases. By the time the next Europeans came to those areas, the civilizations De Soto and his men saw had utterly collapsed, and the population had catastrophically fallen as well. Similarly, the vast numbers of buffalo and passenger pigeons are thought to be the result of the death of North American native peoples and the collapse of their civilizations, particularly the ability to maintain agricultural systems. That's also thought to be tied to a period of global cooling as an entire continent's worth of people stopped using fire to control plant growth and forests expanded massively, resulting in vast amounts of CO2 being pulled from the atmosphere. Magellan is not the first person to circumnavigate the globe. He never made it, he died in the Philippines. There was a 100-hour war between El Salvador and Honduras in 1969. The war caused the death of about 3,000 people. The war was triggered by a football or soccer game. It has been known as the football war. Other than the whole football part, this conflict is known for having the last actual dogfights between piston-engined, prop-driven fighters. Honduras had the 4, 5, and 5N variants of the F4U Corsair, while the Salvadorian Air Force had some beat-up Corsairs and some demilitarized P-51 Mustangs, which they rearmed and set up. One Honduras pilot even had three kills during the short conflict. You didn't have to be ethnically Spanish to be a conquistador. There were conquistadors from England and Germany, but the rules to become one involved hispanicizing your name and converting to Catholicism if you weren't already Catholic. The sound made by the Krakatoa volcanic eruption in 1883 was so loud it ruptured eardrums of the people 40 miles away, traveled around the world four times, and was clearly heard 3,000 miles away. That's like you standing in New York and hearing the sound from San Francisco. There's a tribe in Vanuatu that worships Prince Philip as a literal god. There was a TV show on it where they came over to England to meet him and experienced snow for the first time. It was fascinating. On the Lewis and Clark expedition, a vote regarding what direction they should go was held on the coast of Washington amongst the party members. This vote included Sacagawea and York, Lewis's slave. Thus, because the expedition was funded by the US military, this was the first time in American history where a woman and a black man were allowed to participate in a vote of any kind related to government affairs. Pope Gregory IX called for black cats to be killed, as he believed they are incarnations of Satan. The mass killing of cats increased the number of rats in Europe. The increased number of rats helped to spread the plague all throughout Europe. He also had a steam yacht called the Saucy Sioux, which was moored off the coast of the West Indies, in which he hosted the entire England cricket team and the Balinese goddess of plenty. That Blackadder quote probably didn't deserve a place in this list of historical events, but it made me laugh, and hopefully it made you laugh too, listener. Legend holds that the Renaissance artist Raphael died of exhaustion and fatigue due to excessive fornication with his mistress, Fornarina. Ba-dum-tss. 
That sounds like something Raphael would want to be said about him after his death. Tell everyone that I died <gasps> banging that chick. <sighs> his buddies Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello all agree to spread the lie. Thomas Jefferson collected so many books in his lifetime that he would go into debt. After the British burned Washington, D.C. in the Battle of 1812, he had sold most of his books to the Library of Congress to replace those that were lost in the fire. Jefferson had spent 50 years accumulating a wide variety of books in several languages and in many subjects, including philosophy, science, literature, architecture, law, religion, and mathematics. The nearly 6,500 books netted him $23,950. The sum is from so long ago that you actually can't calculate its modern worth. We can do those calculations since 1913 when we instituted the Federal Reserve and started tracking inflation. In 1913, that $23,950 would have been worth a little over $600,000. If you use a standard inflation rate of 3% from years 1812 to 1913, it becomes about $11 million. But inflation was probably much higher, especially when taking into account the debt we went into for the Civil War and the Reconstruction, which was over $2 billion in real 1865 dollars. 26th President Theodore Roosevelt was an ardent supporter of William Howard Taft. The two were longtime friends, and Taft was Roosevelt's most trusted cabinet member. When Roosevelt's latter term came to a close, he successfully campaigned for Taft's election to the presidency. However, when Taft began enacting many policies that his predecessor found disagreeable, Roosevelt grew sour toward his friend. He vied for the Republican presidential nomination and failed. He then literally marched his supporters out of the Republican convention hall and created a new party. Under this party's new banner, Roosevelt split the Republican vote and ensured Taft's defeat. This leads to the story of the attempted assassination of Roosevelt when he was on his way to give a speech. His 90-minute, several-pages-long speech was folded up in his steel eyeglass case, and the bullet went through the steel and paper, losing enough momentum that it wasn't able to puncture his lungs. Roosevelt felt the shot, but he saw he wasn't bleeding heavily or coughing up blood, so he figured he wasn't in immediate danger and gave the 90-minute speech anyway. He started the speech by saying, I don't know whether you fully understand that I've just been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. A spiritualist who believed in harnessing orgone energy, as in energy from the human climax, sent Einstein what is fundamentally a nonsense machine for harnessing the energy. Einstein spent an afternoon trying to analyze this thing before sending an apologetic letter explaining that this machine was just nonsense. Albert Einstein could also have been president of Israel when it was formed, but he declined. Gladiators endorsed products like modern-day sports stars do. They also rarely died and had, for the time, incredible health care. The costs sunk into a star gladiator were immense. Having them die would be a huge loss. Untrained slaves and animals were a different story, of course. I'd actually like to see a modern gladiatorial renaissance myself. Maybe sans animal cruelty and slavery, of course. Medieval combat sports are sort of getting there. Thomas Jefferson had a ram as a pet. He called it the Abominable Animal. It was aggressive as heck, and Jefferson usually tied it outside buildings he was in, and it attacked a lot of people just walking by it. It even killed a boy. He only had it killed once it started attacking his other sheep. WTF, Thomas. Maybe I've been watching too much Hamilton, but outside his intellect, Jefferson doesn't seem to have had a whole lot of redeeming qualities. 
The American invasion fleet for the Philippines during World War II was saved from complete destruction by a small support group named Taffy 3, composed of 13 smaller support vessels. The Japanese fleet meant to destroy the invasion force was made up of nearly twice as many larger fighting ships, including four battleships, one of which was the super battleship Yamoto. The escort carriers, which were merely converted merchants' vessels, could not outrun any of the Japanese vessels. Taffy 3 did not have any guns larger than 5 inches. To put it in comparison, the anti-aircraft guns of some of the larger vessels in the Japanese fleet had similar caliber guns. Yamoto alone outweighed every ship in Taffy 3 combined. The battle itself was one of the largest mismatches in naval history. The carriers scrambled every aircraft they had on board, which was close to up to 400 aircraft. The destroyers and destroyer escorts laid a smokescreen for the carriers. One of them made a headlong charge directly at the larger Japanese force to get into launching range for the torpedoes. Other vessels took their example and made similar torpedo runs. One torpedo sheared off the bow of the heavy cruiser Kumano, another crippled the heavy cruiser Chokai. The aircraft repeatedly strafed, bombed, and even depth-charged the fleet. Once they ran out of ammo, they continued to make dry runs at ships so as to distract the gunners from firing on friendly vessels. There were reports of pilots flinging empty coke bottles, charts, and clipboards at ships. One pilot pulled his 45 caliber Colt and shot at a cruiser with it. The Japanese made several errors in the engagement, including the order of a general attack, which meant each vessel could engage and maneuver freely. This made a lot of miscommunication and confusion. They also misidentified the small escort carriers for larger ones, because of the crap ton of aircraft airborne, and also mistook the small destroyers as heavy cruisers. These errors made Taffy 3 look like the outer elements of a much larger American fleet. Thinking this, the Japanese admiral regathered his forces and retreated. This gave enough time for Taffy 3 to retreat and alert the main American fleet, which had been distracted by another Japanese fleet meant to lure them away. It sailed back and bombed the crap out of the remaining warships of the original Japanese fleet. The stories of heroism and bravery on board the American vessels are almost unbelievable. The story of the battle itself is also quite interesting, including when a single shot from the 5-inch stinger gun of a carrier managed to cripple a heavy cruiser. In conclusion, American fleet composed of support vessels fought a Japanese task force several times larger than it and won. Saved tens of thousands of lives. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications. Put the playlist on in the background to finish listening to all the stories, linked at the top of the description. And if you like Am I the Genius, give Am I the Jerk a shot, linked in the description too. Either way, thanks a lot for watching, and we'll see you guys next time.